HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Hearst Ranch Grass-Fed Beef, available on the internet at hearstranch.com. A third-century Chinese text talked about people in Japan running around dancing and drinking. Could it have been sake? We'll find out that and a lot more today on A Taste of the Past. Welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, here on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. And today, indeed, we are talking about sake. Uh, sake is kind of that elusive, wonderful thing that everyone enjoys when they drink it, but s- nobody seems to know that much about it. They just say, sure, I'm eating some Japanese food. Give me some sake. That's good. Well, today we're going to find out all about it from my guest, Tim Sullivan, and Tim is a sake educator and the founder of UrbanSake.com. And we're here talking about my questions. I have got a ton of questions. And we we welcome your questions, too. If there's something you'd like to know about sake, you can give us a call, and we can answer that live today at 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Well, Tim, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Sake is that, that, that wonderful drink that nobody knows a whole lot about. Hmm, you're here to change that for us. That's right. <laughs> well, I have to say that I was, um, I was fortunate enough to be at a presentation with Elizabeth Ando, a Japanese scholar who from, was in from Tokyo, and she talked all about the, um, the food from the region of the disaster a year later. And Tim was there giving us all a sake lesson and a tasting. Tim, I learned so much that day about the fact that there really are nuances, differences, obviously price differences. But first of all, let's go back and tell me a little bit about what is sake and what's what's the background? Well, as most people know, sake is made from rice. And the other thing that a lot of people know is sake is from Japan. But that's where most people's knowledge right. <laughs> tends it. to stop. The, the most important thing to know is that sake rice 
is different from eating rice. So the rice that's actually used to make sake is very different from the rice that we eat. That's the first thing to know. And the, the other thing to know is that sake is actually a brewed beverage. A oh, lot it's, of, oh, it's not, so it's not a distilled? It's not distilled. Mm-hmm. That's a big misnomer. One of the key things I like to help people to understand right away in my lectures is that sake is brewed. It's much more similar to a beer than it would be a wine or a vodka or another distilled mm-hmm. beverage. It just has that scary, clear color that one doesn't quite know what they're drinking. <laughs> That's right. It's actually, a lot of people say it's, it's produced like a beer and drinks like a wine. And some people fear that it's like a vodka. So, But it's actually a brewed beverage. The alcohol percentage is usually around 15%, which mm-hmm. is just a bit more than you'd get in a strong wine. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I learned... Uh, so much about the wonderful subtleties and tasted some fantastic sakes with you. Um, how has it always been this? What what do you know? Any of the background and history that you can tell us about about the process of brewing sake? Yeah, sake today is very much um, can be very elegant, and as you mentioned, there's a lot of nuance in a lot of the sake today. That is a modern phenomenon. That is something that has only been around for the last 40 or 50 years. Hmm. Sake itself has a history of over 2,000 years. Scholars uh, believe that sake came to Japan with the cultivation of rice. So when the Japanese learned from China how to cultivate rice in patties, that's when the consumption of an alcohol from rice began. Well, Chinese always had their rice wine. Yes. So I guess this is just taking another step further. And. An interesting story about the origin of sake. A lot of people believe that the first type of sake ever made was called kamikuchi sake, which actually means mouth chew. I heard about that. Yes. Mouth chew or chew in the mouth. Yes. Ooh, tell us so about that. What you need when you have rice, you need to get the starch turned into sugar. You need to break down the starch and the rice into sugar in order to get the alcohol. So in modern days, we use a mold to break down the starch, but Back then, they hadn't discovered this mold yet, so they would chew some of the rice in their mouth, and the saliva enzymes would actually break down the starch into sugar. Hmm. So they would chew it and spit it in a bucket, leave the bucket out, it would naturally ferment, and what they would get is a uh, boozy gruel, like a, a rice porridge that they would eat. And it would give them a little bit of the alcoholic high. And that's they had enough interest in that to continue to work this method of mouth chewing sake. So that's that's kind of the what we started out with. Interesting. I'll have some more rice pudding. Thank you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then the, the Japanese government got involved about uh, 600 AD and the, the emperor uh, designated a division of his government to be in charge of sake production. And that's when things really started to take off and get more modern. It came out of uh, peasant domain into the emperor's domain. And he assigned the monks to be the farmers for the rice. And that's why there's a long-standing tradition between religion and sake in Japan. It's often served at weddings and funerals. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, that's where that tie to the Japanese religion came from, is that the government assigned the monks and the priests to be in charge of sake production. Sounds just like Western history as well. Mm-hmm. They're always, they got involved. Well, um, I did read that at one time, and I'm... I don't know if this was later on, like in the in the 18th or 19th century, but uh, anyone who had the money could was given free reign to start their own breweries. 
And lo and behold, like overnight, 30,000 breweries sprang up. And the government said, oh, okay, we didn't anticipate that. Good business for us to be in, once again. And then they, of course, got involved so they could tax the uh, tax the production and, yeah. and the, control it as well, which, is, which it, it does need controls, I'm sure. Yeah. The, the arm of the government that oversees sake production is actually the taxation department. Hmm. A lot of people don't realize that. It's kind of like you know the beer industry being controlled by the IRS. It, it, it's... It, it stands for the long-standing history of how much uh, income the Japanese government made in the past from taxing sake. So that's another hint, another tie to the past, is that this connection between tax income and sake was very, very high in the past. So we have a legacy of that today right. with how, who, who regulates the sake industry in Japan. Yeah. Uh, there are, as you said, there are, are so many misconceptions about Sake and and today you say that there's new techniques, new brewing methods that came around just in within the 20th century, right? Absolutely. And what was that? Well, the one major shift, in my opinion, is the advent of uh, mechanized modern rice milling machines. Hmm. So in the distant past, they would use like a, a flour mill type of stone thing to grind the rice as best they could. And they could maybe get 10 or 20% off the, the rice. But when uh, they introduced modern... Now, when you say get 10 or 20%, 10 or 20% of what off the rice? They mill the rice mm-hmm. to... Um, they want to get the outer hull off. Okay. And they want to mill down. The more you mill down, the higher the quality. So... In the past, they could get a small amount off. Um, rice that we eat, for example, is milled about 10% gone, 90% remaining. All right. So all rice starts out as brown rice. Mm-hmm. So if you're eating white rice, then you know it has been milled to some extent. And in the early 20th century, they introduced highly mechanized uh, rice milling machines that allowed the brewers to mill down way more than ever before, down to... 40% remaining, 30% remaining. We're talking little specks of pure rice starch. So just this tiny pure grain. Yes. Of grain. Yeah. The grain. That's just the center of the grain. That's in sake rice. That's where all the starch is. Is in the center. You can think of it like a hard-boiled egg. Mm-hmm. The yolk is where all the starch is. That's what they want to isolate. The egg white would be the proteins, the lipids, the fat. That is the thing that is normally nutritious in a grain of rice. Mm-hmm. But when we're making sake, we want to get that out. We're not thinking nutrition. Right. right, exactly. <laughs> so Interesting. The, when they developed the ability to mill the rice more, process it more, so that more starch was isolated, that's when the quality really started to take off in the 20th century. So that's when the price of a fine bottle of sake also took off, I would imagine. Right? And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Because if you start with one ton of rice and you're milling it down to 50% remaining, you have half a ton of rice. So half of your raw material is not being used in the final product. So the more you mill the rice, the higher the quality, but the price goes up because right. your raw material costs are much higher. Are there still um, plenty of like mom and, sh- mom and pop shop? Uh, sake production houses or where you get just sort of like the, the working man's sake or they're quite rare hmm. the vast majority of Japanese will drink inexpensive sake from a big box producer mm-hmm. there are small holdouts small family run places and there's lots of bu- boutique style 
sake brewers that make a very high-end product and focus on that market. So there's all ranges. But the the days of the small, family-run sake brewery that's just distributing in their local area, that's quite rare these uh, days. Yeah. Well, I, and I guess, obviously, there are fewer family farms and farmers growing their own rice would be the leftover they'd have leftover rice from their harvest and so they would write ferment it and have their own moonshine right right. (laughs) basically i guess that's what it is speaking of the rice and and growing their own and rice patties there um there has been some concern voiced about because because sake is not aged right sake is is drunk right after soon after it's bottled is that correct well um most sake is aged for about three to six months. Three to six months. Yeah. Okay. So they will either age it in the tank or they will bottle it. But most brewers, again, there's no absolutes, but most brewers will age their sake in the bottle for about three to six months just to let the taste mature a bit and let it settle. But in general, sake is not meant to be aged as you would a wine where you want to keep it in your cellar and check back on the vintages over decades. Yeah. That's not done with sake. Sake uh-huh. is meant to be consumed soon after it's released by the brewery. So the, the brewer is going to release the sake when they feel it's right for consumption. Well, that and that brought me to a question that was asked of me by a couple different people, actually. And that was, um, in fact, one asked the restaurateur, and I think you were asked that evening as well, um, with the recent tsunami and the radiation um, exposure, are there any concerns about the rice being contaminated and so then the sake being contaminated with radiation? That's a very good question, and I'm glad people are, are talking about that because you know I don't want people to avoid sake out of a baseless fear. They've actually been testing the water uh, quite extensively in areas that produce sake, and they've been testing the final product and testing the rice. The government's been very proactive about uh, all kinds of testing. And there was a report released recently that said in the water they found absolutely no contamination in any site that they checked. Um, that this is the government saying it about, yes. a, about a brewing process that they control. Well, control? I mean, they, they monitor financial side of things and they set the laws as far as uh, what ingredients need to go into sake things like that okay Um, but the rice has also been tested and they found no contamination as well and many many sake brewers are putting in the expense to do their own independent testing oh they've got a reputation at stake absolutely yeah so you know there's been no issue found in the sake and sake is also milled so the outside hull the outside of the grain is always taken off mm-hmm. um so that's an additional uh line of protection as well but there's been no contamination found at all so uh, sake is uh, it's safe for consumption safe for consumption good good glad to hear well we are I, I, we're just about to take a break and i want to remind people to call in with their question and and you just reminded me of something i'm going to up when we come back i'm going to talk about terroir of sake but remember you can call in with your questions at 718-497-2128 and we'll be back after a short break Your picture of me and you. You wrote, I love you. I wrote me 
there's nothing else to do Oh, it's in color Your hair is brown Your eyes are hazel And so does clouds I often kiss you when there's no one else around Ranch grass-fed beef, pasture-raised on 150,000 acres in Central California. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, free-range, sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, the authentic flavor of the American West. We are back talking about sake today with Tim Sullivan, uh, the founder of UrbanSake.com. And Tim, you told me earlier that you are going to be giving a course soon, uh, next Wednesday, May 16th at the Astor Center. That's right. Okay, go on. Okay. Yeah, I, I teach the sake classes at Astor Center, which is a wonderful food and wine school in the East Village here in New York. And I've been teaching there since 2007. It's a wonderful two-hour introduction to sake. We taste seven sakes and have a two-hour presentation. All, all the things you need to know to get started. And there's a wine and liquor store downstairs, so you can walk out and buy what you learned. Right? Bingo. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you're fortunate enough to be in the New York area on May 16th, you can catch Tim at the Astra Center. Uh, when we went to break, I, I wanted to ask you about terroir. With wine, of course, we, we know there's a, a different varieties of grapes that grow better in different areas of countries. Is there such a thing as terroir for rice? That's an excellent question. You know, the considering how wine is made... Fruit has to be grown very close to where the wine is made. It's very difficult to transport the, transport the fruit long distances. That's not the case with rice. Rice can be harvested and transported easily, even hundreds of years ago, easily transported very far away. So rice can be grown very far from where the sake is made. So in my opinion, the sense of terroir does not come from the rice. It comes from the water. Water. I was going to ask you that was yeah. that was listed as one of the key seven key factors in yeah. sake. It was water. And another factor, in my opinion, that influences uh, the terroir is the local cuisine. I'll hmm. give you a really quick example. In the uh, prefecture of Akita, it's very snowy, very mountainous, and they eat a lot of pickled foods, a lot of preserved foods. And their sake, the traditional sake, tends to be heartier and more full-bodied to match that. Mm -hmm. Whereas in an area close to the sea, there will be lots of fresh fish year-round. And their style in their area is much lighter, and that pairs with their traditional cuisine. So that is a sense of terroir that comes from the local food and then you have your hard water and your soft water that so also they actually produce it to match everything else i think it yeah. naturally evolves that way huh. based on what the local cuisine is all right well we have a, we have a caller with a question uh, it's joe from brooklyn joe are you there i'm here can you hear me? Oh, got a lot of feedback or something there but go ahead okay so my question was can you still hear me yes great Okay, my question is, um, so when I go and I go to buy a bottle of sake, 
how do I know what to look for when I like look at the label? It's all written in Japanese. How do I know that I'm getting a good quality sake? That's a great question. You know, a lot of people look at the front of the sake label, and there's all this kanji Japanese writing. It's very hard to know what it's all about. On the back, there's usually a name in English, and there'll also be what's called the rice milling percentage. And, and so what you look for a, a high percentage of rice milling. Yep. Um, Joe, I think we're going to have to answer your question if you can hang up and we'll continue to answer. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. And thank you, Joe, so much for that yeah. question. That was great. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so people might be confused. They might think that that's the percentage of alcohol, but... No, the rice milling rate is how much the rice was milled prior to brewing. And that'll be on the back of the label. That'll be on the back of the label. And that is something you can look at to know how much the rice was processed. And again, the the lower that number, the higher the quality. So if the rice was milled to 50%, that's considered a super premium sake. So and what is what's the run of the mill? Let's say like a, a $14 bottle of sake would generally be what? Well... When you talk about $14 bottle of sake, that's probably something that was domestically made. There oh. are sake breweries here in the U.S. And Primarily where in California? Or? There's one in Oregon, and I think there's two in California uh-huh. now that make sake. And there's also a brewery in, um, in Texas. And, I just uh, chose that number out of thin air. I mean, just I was thinking about, you know, a, a low-priced bottle of wine, a low-priced bottle yeah. of sake. Um, what would the percentage be on something like that? Yeah, usually about seventy percent remaining. Seventy remaining. Okay. Yeah, so, so you want you want it to be fifty percent. Well, to be the best quality or well, lower. The lower or, the number, the, the higher the, the quality is going to be. However, the price is going to go up as well. So it depends what you're looking for. Uh, if you're looking for something that is more affordable, hearty, you're going to be pairing it with uh, perhaps Western foods, then you know, you'd know you want to look for something around 70% milling rate. If you're going to be having sashimi or something very fine or you're, you're ready to celebrate something, you can go down to 50 or 40% remaining, and then you can get a super premium sake. Wow. Right? So yeah. that's, that's a good number to look for. Uh, now, you mentioned that uh, we now... We don't have to chew it in our. They don't have to chew it in their mouths and spit it out to start the fermentation process, and they. But they use a mold. Now, is this a, a mold they introduce? It's not a naturally forming mold of the rice. What tell us about that? Well, the mold is called kojikin, and it is a mold that they sprinkle. It comes in powder form, and they sprinkle it on the rice in a very warm room called the koji room. And what they do is over two to three days, they propagate the mold. They grow the mold. And where does this rice. mold come, come from? Do you know what Most the mold is? Most people order it, like from a brewing supply cloud. Mm-hmm. So it's like a brewer's yeast yeah. kind of mold. It, it's a mold. Oh, but that's not a yeast. It's a mold. It's not a yeast. It's okay. a mold. And um, uh, mold is used in all kinds of food. People get a little freaked out when they hear that sake has mold in it. But, you know, blue cheese has mold in it. Yogurt has mold in it sometimes. Right. And it's, it's used to... Um, to uh, break down the starches into sugars. That's the role of this koji mold in the sake-making process. And start so that integral. fermentation process going. Exactly. Right? Um, now, you mentioned that there's also another type of brewing that uses yeast. The yeast is the next step in the process. Oh, it, it, so they're both used, both they're mold both and used. yeast. Okay. Yes. So first, the role, again, of the koji is to break down the starches into sugar. So we have glucose. And then you have to convert the sugar into alcohol. And just like in wine... The yeast eats the sugar and outputs the alcohol and CO2. So that is the exact same 
uh, alcohol process as you have in wine, that simple one-step fermentation. Mm -hmm. But with beer and sake, you need to get the, uh, the grain has to give you a sugar. So you have that starch to sugar conversion first, and then uh, the sugar to alcohol. Interesting. So the, um, the land and the weather obviously play a huge role because, you know, rice production can change from one year to the next, right? That's true. Uh, do they, I don't know, are there higher qualities of rice in that, you know, in different areas? And Well, the big challenge of the sake brewer from year to year is to keep the quality consistent. Mm. In the wine world, there you know, people say this was a good year, that was a good That's year, right. it goes That's up right. and down. And the, the goal of the sake brewer is to keep quality consistent, the taste consistent from year to year, whether they've had a good harvest or a bad harvest. So when you talk to a sake brewer and you say, oh, you know, rice wasn't that good this year, they say, well, my work's a little bit harder this year to keep up the same quality, even though the rice wasn't as good. So um, that's the big challenge that the sake brewers face. And what about um, some of the, oh, the well, the, uh, you mentioned the different regions, the prefectures. Um, misconceptions about uh, that people have let's say Americans in particular have about sake and food pairings thinking well I'm having um, is is there a type of food that sake is not good for not appropriate for that you could think of you're going to say no because you love sake I know it's true (laughs) I mean I've done a lot of experimenting with all kinds of food and sake and the one thing that a lot of Americans don't realize is that there's a tremendous variety of sakes out there. There's things that pair with pizza. There's things that pair with roast chicken. There's things that pair with ice cream. There's all kinds of sakes that uh, just are wonderful. So it, it's once you kind of scratch the surface, there's a whole world to explore there. So I encourage people to try all different kinds and you know ask their local wine and liquor shops to bring in more and varied sakes because mm-hmm. it's it's a wonderful world to explore. Uh, there, I don't know whether it's a fallacy or not, but there is you know the, something some people say. Well, if you don't want the hangover, drink sake. I've heard that as well. And well, if you overindulge in any, I mean, alcohol is alcohol. So right. if you over really overindulge in any alcohol, you may have trouble. But the thing that it's good to know about sake is that there's no it's gluten free. There's no preservatives. There is a no sulfites, hmm. very low acidity compared to wine. So for a lot of people, sake is a really good choice. Interesting. And there, there is, you said that now this is brewed and not distilled, but there is a, a distilled variety to yes. be drunk as a liqueur, correct? There's two types of sake. One is called Junmai sake, which means pure rice, and that has no preservatives or additives, and that's a naturally brewed uh rice uh, alcohol then there's another type that is a fortified style of sake and people who get really really bad hangovers usually overindulge in this less expensive fortified style of sake that um, has a small amount of distilled alcohol added to it Mm -hmm. so you have the pure rice style and you have the fortified style it's just good to be aware i think that's where this uh, misnomer of sake being distilled comes from is that there is a style that does contain a bit of Additive of this. So alcohol. all brewed sake is called junmai. That's the that's the type of, of brewing of the sake. It's yeah, junmai. all all 
all sake with no preservatives is called the Junmai sake, Junmai pure sake. rice. Yeah. Okay. I feel more confident, I have to say. I can, I can go and I can look for the bottle, and um, I wish that we could have our listeners taste on the air. <laughs> Obviously, that's a little difficult to do, but... Um, Certainly, it's an exciting thing to do to go out and and try a couple different varieties and see if they can tell the difference. I know I could. It was surprising. I didn't know. I didn't trust my palate to be able to to differentiate from the percentages of how much was milled away from that rice. And of course, I'm thinking of the percentage milled away. But what we talk about on the bottle is the percentage remaining of the grain of rice. And uh, it truly is. it, It truly is something that is easy to taste. Yeah, I think a lot of people will be surprised if they dig a little deeper into sake. And, and get some of the amazing tastes that are out there. All right. Now, when you did the tasting <clears throat> for the presentation that I attended, you did give us a couple of notes to look for. Let's say you're, you're trying a variety of two or three sakes um, from, you know, uh, cruder, or in other words, uh, less milling, down to a very finely milled sake. What notes should we be looking for? What, what taste should we be looking for? Well, for the for the entry level to premium, which is the June Mai grade, so that's the milled to seventy percent, mm-hmm. the um, more full bodied taste. When you have that full bodied style sake, those tend to be drier, and they tend to be more rice notes on the palate. So you want to look for ricey flavors, full bodied, big bone sake that goes great with grilled meats, steaks, things like that. Oh, I was going to ask you, what yeah. about yeah, what about red meats? Was that yeah, yeah. It goes well with there's that. there's a lot of full bodied. Uh, ricey sakes that pair wonderfully with steak. That's and good. if you think of having rice on the side of steak, it's great. So you can have like rice pilaf. <laughs> so, you know, drinking your rice is wonderful as well. Yes. So, but you want to look for something a little bit drier and full bodied when you're having uh, red meat or grilled meats. Then when you get down to the lighter style, um, you want to look for something that's like a poached fish or sashimi or, um, you know, uh, I would stay away from the grilled meats, but, you know, uh, uh, salads and things like that that are just on the lighter side, those go really well with the sakis that are milled more. So maybe to 40%, 50%, 60%. Those are going to be more aromatic, lighter bodied, and uh, have a wonderful clean taste to them. And those are going to taste less overtly like rice mm-hmm. and uh, be more, um, uh, have, uh, you know, they can have fruitiness on the palate. And very smooth drinking, as you experienced in yes, the tasting yeah, we did. Yeah, smooth was very, yeah. very nice. Full body, and the full bodied was nice, especially we had mm-hmm. some food matching up with it, and went perfectly with you know what we yeah. were eating. So you really you can tell the difference. And the full bodied was nice, and then get down to that fine, smooth, and and it was indeed aromatic, very mm-hmm. nice. Well, I'm excited to go out and try some more sake. Excellent. It sounds good to me, and I hope that um, our listeners have learned a little bit about what to do when they are faced with the sake ordering dilemma. Now you can you get a you get a sake list at these wonderful Japanese restaurants and there is quite a variety to taste from. So yeah. thank you so much, Tim Sullivan. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And check out urbansake.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Linda Palaccio and this has been A Taste of the Past. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. 
You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.